Good morning. So Amber wasn't wrong. I was sitting there and I said, you know, next time I come here, would you be willing to sing such and such? And she says, well, why don't I sing it this morning? And I'm like, okay. And so I pulled it up on my phone and, and there you go. Um, it is truly one of my favorite songs about personal authenticity. Everything that she mentions in the song, from the stars shining to the breeze blowing, they're simply doing what they do, being what they be. And that is what we are called to be. Now, I believe it was Ram Dass who said, only speak if you can improve upon the silence. But you paid me to speak, so I'm going to speak for you. <laughs> Author Byron Katie wrote, courage is not required once you understand the nature of the universe. No need for courage. Don't need it. In a perfect world. In a completely spiritual, absolute, nothing-can-touch-me world, courage is not required. However, for any of those of us who end up in our minds from time to time or end up in our bodies from time to time, I think that courage is crucial. I love to take words and pull them apart, even though I think I know the definition. And so I looked up the word courage. And as you know, when you look, I was gonna say in the dictionary, I can't remember the last time I picked up a dictionary. When I Googled the word courage, <laughs> these are the definitions that stuck out for me. The first one says, a spirit of excuse me, a quality of spirit that enables you to face danger or pain without fear. That's what courage is. And to then pull apart the actual definition there, a quality of spirit. Now, this is all written in the lowercase. It's a quality of my personal spirit that I can face pain or danger without showing fear. But as a religious scientist... I know that it's a quality of the universal spirit that I am able to face danger and pain without fear. It is not because I have some magnificence of my own. It is because I am spiritually magnificent that I am able to say, I can face this without fear. The second one that really stuck out for me, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to ask if you can figure out which word in the definition stuck out for me. The quality of mind which enables one to encounter danger and difficulties with firmness or without fear or becoming faint of heart. Anybody guess what word? Mind. We teach science of mind. So the quality of mind that enables me to encounter danger, difficulties, without being faint of heart. 
So that's what Google had to say about courage. I used to be a person who did not enjoy journaling at all. And then I came to a realization that I enjoy journaling in fits and spurts. A few sentences here, a few sentences there, an opportunity to bring my thought into form on a piece of paper or in my phone, which is where it normally ends up. And I take time every single day, and sometimes it's three sentences. Sometimes it's a paragraph. I would like to read an excerpt from my journal that I wrote on March 7 of this year. There are so many things in life that would harden us. It's sometimes easier to be rough and prickly, to keep the world at arm's length, to protect our tender underbelly. Being tender takes courage. Being tender doesn't mean allowing injustice or denying anger. It doesn't mean being a doormat or being weak. Being tender allows us to see where others are covering their tenderness with barriers. It allows us to understand bad behavior without excusing it. The moment we harden and constrict, we eliminate the opportunity to allow our tenderness to call to the authentic tenderness in another. And I finished the the writing with this affirmation, through the power of spirit, I am committed to courageous tenderness. So I want to explore three aspects of this. What is it to be tender? What is it, why does it take courage to be tender? And what makes it possible for us to have that courage? And we've already answered the third question. What makes it possible for us to be courageously tender is that we can remember that we are one of the divine, one with the divine, born of, made of the divine. And when we remember that, which I think Ernest, and I have utter respect, might have changed our philosophy's name to the spirit or the science of mindfulness. Because we're not just called to be in the mind, we're called to be mindful. You don't get to have great wisdom without spending time being mindful, paying attention to what's going on around you. Now, there's going to be times when you feel yourself fully in your body and some chaos is going on around you and you're going to forget, I'm divine. That's what the science of mindfulness is all about. This feels like it's slipping. We say that God is whole, perfect, and complete. If you've been around science of mind for any length of time, you have heard that phrase used ad nauseum. But it's true. And if we are one of, one with, made of God stuff, then we are whole, perfect, and complete too. 
And it's really helpful to remember it. In fact, it's crucial to remember it because when I'm driving down the highway and someone pulls out in front of me, which actually happened this morning, and I was kind of in this, I, I was staying in Aptos this, last night, and um, I was coming down Highway 1, and there was not much space, maybe a couple hundred yards, between me and the car ahead of me, and as that person passed, the truck pulled out onto the road. And I was like in this like mindful meditation process because I'm like all in the mode and you know, getting in the zone. And for once, I didn't feel angst come up. I simply took my foot off the gas pedal, pulled back, let him in. Now, there was no one behind me, no one. And I could have spent time thinking, why did he pull out in front of me when there was no one behind? He didn't need to. But fortunately for me, because it wouldn't have hurt him, he wouldn't have heard a single word I said, no matter how loud I shouted them, I was able to stay in that space because I took time this morning to get in that space. And that's what it's about. You don't get to be in that space unless you take time to get there. Now, you're always there. It's a paradox. Are you always aware that you're there? So I have a story about personal authenticity. This just feels weird. When I was a little boy, I was the kind of child who loved to hang out with my mom. We would cook, we would bake, we would shop. I was a fabulous son. <laughs> Do you feel me? <clears throat> and we were a family on a budget. And one day I was shopping with my mother and my grandmother and we were at, I think it was a Michael's craft store. And my mother saw this gorgeous silk flower arrangement. And it was the 80s, and gorgeous, glorious silk flower arrangements were all the rage. This thing was $250, and she's just like, behold. <laughs> well, $250 was not really in the budget for this lovely flower arrangement. And so we went on. Well, the next time we were in the store, it was just me and my mom. And she went to see that arrangement again. And I said, you know, Mom, I think I could make that for you. She's like, how do you know how to do that? I'm like, I don't know, but I think I can do it. I said, so if, if you just buy the raw materials and the vase you want it in, I can do that for you. And so she did a quick calculation and she, we could get all the supplies we needed for less than $100 to make this $250 arrangement. So she says, well, what if it doesn't turn out well? I said, well, if it doesn't turn out well, I'll make sure not to cut any of the stems so you can just return it and no harm, no foul. So we go home with a bunch of flowers and I created it. I don't know where it came from. I never sat in a class that said, this is how you arrange flowers. I think it's in my genes. 
And subsequent to that, my grandmother and my grandfather came over to visit, and my grandmother had been there the first time in the store when she saw this arrangement that was $250. And she looks at my mother and she says, where'd you get the money for that? My grandmother was not in science of mind, so you know her consciousness, yeah, whatever. Um, my mother says, actually, Tim made it. She says, really? And this is, this is the painful part. My grandfather says, he'll make a fine wife someday. Oh, and I learned in that moment it was not okay to be fabulous. I learned it was not okay to be me. Ironically, two decades later, when I actually came out of the closet, my grandmother was really struggling with this new reality. Rephrase, this revelation. It was not a new reality. Um, my grandfather, who I viewed for most of my life as very bigoted, said to my grandmother, I don't know what your problem is. He's the same as he's always been. He's just being honest now. So there are times in our lives where the people who hurt us are going to be really close to us, and those are the ones that tend to hurt the most. Because if I've got you out here, dare I say, if I don't care what you think, you can't hurt me. It's only when I care what you think of me, more than I care what I think of me, that you can hurt me. But we learn, and I'm sure that each one of us had some experience in our lives where somebody said something that taught us it's not okay to be me. And it's going to be different for each one of us. And for some, it's easier to cover it up. I dare say you couldn't be a more fabulous black woman, but you can't hide that. For seven years, I was married to a woman, and I tried to hide my fabulousness. People believed me. You can fool anyone. Not all of our secrets are easily hideable. And so we go through life trying to navigate how to be ourselves in a world that would want to homogenize us. Back to the first question about authenticity. What does it really mean to be authentic. For me, being authentic means that I can be exactly what I am, who I am, in your presence, and it is completely okay. You have no praise for it and no shame for it. I simply am. That's a perfect scenario. How often do we end up in a scenario like that? In this world that we live in, there are few circumstances where we get to show up exactly as we are, share our belief systems exactly as they are, without the possibility of meeting ridicule. For me, personal authenticity is about being the loving individual that spirit created us to be because each of us are an incarnation of spirit. And spirit's main quality is love. 
And so to be truly authentic, we are to show up as love. So then, how do you show up as love in a place where hardness is required just to make it through the day? Once again, it's about getting that space in your head every morning. I have this practice. My husband knows that he's not allowed to speak to me until I am done with my morning practice. There is one thing he can't, well, two things he can say. Three things. (laughs) Good morning. I love you. How do you want your coffee? Every morning is my, I I, I carve out this time, I'm zealous about it. Dare I say, I am religious about this. It matters so much to me that I have that time with spirit that my husband knows he's not supposed to talk to me till I get it. Just three things. Good morning, I love you, here's your coffee. We have to get into a rhythm you know what, I guess I'm making an assumption here. Maybe you guys are all in that rhythm. Maybe you wake up there. Okay. Take it from someone who doesn't. There's a way to get there every day. And the, the more times you do it, the quicker it is to get there. Spiritual practice doesn't take three hours every morning. I spend about 15 to 20 minutes for my own personal get-me-togetherness. And then I spend another 45 minutes sending out text messages of affirmation to people. I have a list of about 130 people that I send affirmations to. And it's my way of saying, okay, this is who I am in the world, and if this is who I am, if I'm love, then this is what I'm going to do with it. Now, every one of us has a different way that we're going to interact in the world. Every one of us has a different way that love looks. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable. If not, I would invite you just to gaze to the floor and take a nice deep breath with me. And another one. And one more. And I'd like you to bring to mind the image of what love looks like to you. I'm not going to throw out any examples because I know that you have an image right now in your mind exactly of what love looks like. How does love behave? What are its qualities? Over the next few minutes of our time together, I'd like you to keep this image in your mind. The image of what you look like when you are being loving. To yourself, others 
What do you look like when you are being loving? We address the concept that we are one with God, one of God. That one beloved is the very fiber of who we are. It's the divine spark that lit the fire that we are. It doesn't require any defending. It is irrefutable. It is ever available and it wants more than anything for us to know and experience it. You may open your eyes if you like. You keep them closed as well. See, we've been domesticated to believe that we only experience love if someone else or something else outside of us loves us or we love it or them. We look for vehicles to give and receive love rather than simply recognizing that we are love. We are love. Are you willing to show up in a world that would have you fear but to be love instead? That is the essence of courage. Dr. Holmes wrote in his Holmes Reader on Practical Wisdom, the Spirit of God is an undivided and indivisible wholeness. It fills all time with its presence and all space with the activity of its thought. Everyone is an incarnation of God and a unique incarnation. All are rooted in the one life. Your endeavor then is not so much to find God as it is to realize God's presence and to understand that this presence is always with you. Nothing can be nearer to you than that which is the very essence of your being. Your outward search culminates in the greatest of all possible discoveries, finding God at the center of your own being. Life flows up from within. You know, great teachers throughout all of the ages have told us that until we're willing to embrace the truth of our being and confront our ego-based fears of rejection and separation and be what we truly are, we will not be fulfilled. Jesus is quoted in the Gospel of Thomas, one of the rogue books that didn't make it in. I like the rogue books. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. We're made of love. Bring it. See, I love words. These little, little things that we say all the time and really there's a whole other meaning behind them. I was listening to country music. I, I live in the valley where country music is cool. <laughs> if there's a place where it's cool. And um, this is slipping again. Um, I was listening to Loretta Lynn, and she has this song where she says, just let me be. 
which the song is saying, leave me alone. But if you think about it, let me be. Let me be who I am. Let me show up the way I show up. Let me love you the way I'm meant to love you. And let you love me that way. Steve Jobs gave sound advice when he declared, your time is limited, little did he know. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is, the living, which is living the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your own heart and your own intuition. See, when we align ourselves with the truth about us, that we are love, being love no longer seems to require courage. It's simply the easiest, most natural way to show up. It's just how you wake up. There are stressors that show up in our lives that would want to move us off of that path, distract us from doing exactly what we're meant to do, which is love. When we get ourselves completely aligned with who we are, knowing that we are one of the one, born of the one, made of the one, all we get to do is be. Only those who are willing to attempt to love everyone will find out how many people they can love. Only those people who are willing to love everyone will find out how much love is possible. If we continue to hold on to the thought that, well, I'm going to love these folks over here, but I'm not going to love these over here, we're never going to know what it would feel like to love them all. And it's hard. I'm not here to sugarcoat anything. There are people in this world that make it very difficult to love. I could introduce you to some. Some of them aren't in my family. Some of them are. Some of them are in offices of various shapes. We don't get to claim that we are loving until we include everyone in our loving. That's hard. That's so hard. Like, even as I'm saying it, I feel like a, a minor constriction, like, oh, but you mean I have to love... Oh, that's going to take some strength. <laughs> it's hard. You know, how much time do I have? Are we doing okay here? There's, what time am I supposed to be done, though? I see the clock. 20, oh, all right, well, can I have one more minute? It's so easy to love some people. And some people make it so challenging, but until we can love them all, and I'm not suggesting recklessness. I mean, you know the expression of wear your heart on your sleeve? 
I'm, I'm not suggesting just go out there and put it out there willy-nilly in front of everybody and just, you know, say, I dare you to hurt me. Because there's fools out there who will take your dare. When we get to say, I have unconditional, positive regard for you, for everyone, then we get to claim to be loving. And, and I use that definition specifically. The Buddhist definition, I have unconditional positive regard for all. I wish no harm to anyone, ever, anywhere. Then we get to say, I'm loving. So let that which is within you, that love in you, call to the love in the people around you, and you'll feel it. You'll, you're like, oh, she's safe to love. And her love will come back. And then you'll get like this stronger feeling of who's safe to love. And you can build that. That's why we show up here, right? Because this is a place where we get to love each other unconditionally. And we know it's safe to be authentic. It's safe to be love. Let's pray. Hmm, how good it is to know that spirit is all. The one, the only, the everything, the only thing happening. Hmm, in that space, I don't need any courage at all. And simply bask, revel, roll around in the love that is God. And I know that is the truth of me. It is the truth of each and every person in this room. And so I claim for each one of us opportunities to send our love out in a call to the love in others and to build that feeling of unconditional positive regard that we show up in the world as love, being that which we seek knowing that that which we seek is seeking us. And so with great gratitude for knowing that Spirit has never said no to the good and faithful word, to that word that resonates within its own nature, I know that Spirit says yes. Yes to love. Yes to being authentic. Yes to exactly who we are and how we show up in the world. And so with gratitude, I can simply release it to the law, knowing that it is already complete. And so it is. Thank you.